This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 244. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Excited to be here, Jacob, for uh, episode number two for this particular week. We've done this yeah. now, I don't know how many weeks, but uh, a lot. A lot. A lot like, of weeks. Like 100 and, I don't know, 130 weeks probably, or close to it. Uh, 117 weeks in a row, we've done two episodes a week. That's crazy, dude. Crazy stuff. Well, welcome to the t- to today's episode. Today is nine pro shooting tips from the pros, plus one bonus. <laughs> We've got a great lineup of guests. Uh, they are uh, not participating live with us recording right now, but in advance of this episode, called in with some of their pro, or they sent us, some of them sent very nicely, uh, professionally recorded <laughs> answers to the question, what is one big, you know, shooting tip that you would give to the concealed carry community. And we've got uh, responses from Kyle Lamb, John Correa, Clint Macro, E. Flanagan. Uh, that kind of came out as Flanagan. Whoops. Flanagan. Uh, Annette Evans, Jeff Gonzalez, Chris Chang, John Wallace, Mike Seeklander. I don't know if I named everybody, but uh, that gives you kind of a heads up of what to expect in today's episode. This is a power packed episode and I'm looking forward to doing it with you, man. Yeah, I'm really stoked. I, I've listened to these in advance. Obviously, I know you have too, um, but I think that we got some. It, oh, here's an interesting thing: of everybody who sent us in their number one shooting tip for today's console carriers, none of the tips are the same. That is true. There's yeah. some that might have some kind of relation, uh, sure, or a maybe crossover, even, maybe, but, but not, not, no two are the same. Right. Right. Oh yeah, that that's actually a great point. I hadn't even really thought of that. So. Kudos to them and or kudos to us. Somehow we just all lucked out. And nobody said the same thing. <laughs> cool. So today's episode is brought to you by, we have a couple of special episode sponsors. And these are these are very appropriate because of some of the topics that we're going to be covering today. Uh, Mantis X, which uh, is returning to the show as a, as a sponsor. It's been a while. Uh, Mantis X is a great product for helping diagnose shooting problems and help you become a better shooter. Uh, Jacob uses Mantis X. I use Mantis X. And one of our guests on the show today, John Correa, is a, uh, I guess he's, I don't know if he's sponsored. I guess he's sponsored by Mantis X. Yeah, if you watch some of his latest videos, he says today's episode of Active Self-Protection is brought to you by Mantis X. So, uh, you know, it's been really fun, Jacob. You and I have been on the Mantis X train for a couple of years now, and we remember when they first kind of launched as a product. And in the early days, like, it still worked pretty good. Like, it was a cool concept. But from where they started to where they are now, it's come a long ways. Yeah, it has. And and for those who, you know, for whatever reason, maybe you, you've recently joined the podcast and you have not heard us talk about Mantis X before, essentially this is a tool that mounts onto the rail of your handgun. And if you have a gun that doesn't have a rail, then they have like mag base plate extension adapter things. Anyway, you mount this thing on your gun and in it, it measures all the movement of the gun. And, and the second you break the shot, you break the trigger press, it, it basically retraces the previous like three hundredths of a second or something uh, leading up to that trigger being pressed. And it sends that data via Bluetooth back to a free app on your phone, which is really, really, really cool. Cause then you get all this data about 
um, what you did. And, it, and it, it knows based on the movement, you know, if you were anticipating recoil, if you were you know, jerking the trigger, if you were gripping too hard or this other thing, it tells you this exactly what you did, fix it. And I tell you, here's the other thing I've, I've noticed, Riley, is I, I think a lot of people like the newer shooters, they love it because they don't know where to start. They're like, I, I, I'm low into the left. Like, what does that even mean? You know, but the advanced shooters, they love it because the, the, the higher your shooting skills become, the more difficult it is to detect what your deficiencies are. And so anyway, that's so really, really cool. Yeah, that, that was definitely how it worked for me that, uh, you know, I'm so fabulously advanced that, uh, there was no possible way I could improve. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, I remember the first time I used it, um, actually not even the first time, the first time I was kind of, I was, I was a little bit too stupid to understand what it was trying to tell me. Cause what it was telling me, I'm like, no, that doesn't sound right. Cause it was basically saying, oh, you're, you're slightly pushing your shots to the left. Uh, with the way you're pulling you know, the trigger. And I think the way, I think part of the, it, it part of what it was for me is that it told me I was using too little or too much trigger finger. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I think I'm good with how I, you know, how I'm using the trigger. But I realized as I self-analyzed based on the feedback Mantis X gave me, I was like, wait a minute, actually there is something not so much. It was not so simple as too much or too little trigger finger. It was that I had to sort of retrain my finger to pull a little bit differently, if that makes sense. Because I realized, actually, as I watched the trace pattern in Mantis X, that as I was pressing the trigger, it, it was it was drifting a little bit. So retraining my finger to pull differently fixed a lot of that. It's still it's still an ongoing struggle for me. But uh, that that is the value of Mantis X. Whether you're a new beginner shooter or a, an advanced shooter, you can see very, very clearly like using that trace feature because basically what it's giving is lifetime data of what's happening on or happening with the gun as you're pressing the trigger it's it's amazing so incredible tech you want to check out mantis x i highly recommend it jacob recommends it john korea recommends it um concealedcarry.com forward slash mantis x m-a-n-t-i-s-x today's episode is also brought also brought to you by barrel block a relatively new uh, sponsor to the podcast. Uh, Barrel Block's a great training tool, training aid. Uh, Jacob probably has one on him there. If you're watching the live feed here, you can probably see it. Basically what it is is a, is a plastic insert that, that goes into the chamber of your gun, has a rod that goes, there you go, goes down the barrel. Um, and it's just a safety device for training. For I, I think this is a great tool to have or use for dry fire because we're always talking about clearing your weapon, not having any live ammo anywhere near you or in the room where you're doing dry fire. But I'll tell you, there's, there's another, you know, you can take it to another level by introducing the barrel block and using that in the chamber of your gun. And there's no possible conceivable way you could get something in the chamber of the gun while you're dry firing. So definitely like and recommend the barrel block. You can check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash barrel block. Now the spelling on that's tricky. It is B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K. Barrel block. Block is spelled B-L-O-K instead of B-L-O-C-K. Concealedcarry.com forward slash barrel block. And then finally, uh, today's episode is made possible because of awesome industry partnerships like what we recently secured with the United States Concealed Carry Association. Just so it's clear, we are not the USCCA. If you've been, you know, I wonder, Jacob, you know what? If, if you hear me say this next bit, listeners, and if you can answer yes to this question, I, I want you to send an email to podcast at concealedcarry.com because I, I'm really curious. I wonder, are there any listeners out there that have listened to this podcast for like 
10, uh, 10 months or 12 months or a year or two, whatever. And they, the whole time they thought we were concealed at the United States concealed carry association. <laughs> it is a common point of confusion. If we, if we have confused you and you are now discovering this and you are now sorely disappointed and for whatever reason, we lose all credibility because we are not the USCCA and thus we are not cool enough to be listened to. Well, I'm sorry for that. Send us an email and I will give you a personal apology. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've always tried to be pretty clear though. I mean, like we talk about concealedcarry.com and we talk about USCCA and and they are we are two definite, definitely different entities, but we've worked very closely with them for some time, and we're excited to announce, we talked about it for several minutes in the last episode, that Guardian Nation members, which Guardian Nation is is our kind of special membership program here at ConcealedCarry.com, uh, comes with a lot of great benefits. First of all, if you want to save 10% automatically off of Barrel Block or Mantis X, become a Guardian Nation member. Boom. Just like that. Awesome savings. But now officially announced this week... Guardian Nation members get 15% off, whether you are a monthly paying member or a yearly paying member, you know, an annually paying member, you get 15% off your USCCA membership just because you're a Guardian Nation member. So that's awesome. <laughs> take advantage of it. We, we've had a number of people already take advantage of that. So that's, that's fantastic. Thanks for Dodd. Yep. Very All right. Awesome. Yeah, so check it out. By the way, you can uh, th- I I discovered there's a really simple link that if you want to be able to, if you're a Guardian Nation member and you want to log in and automatically get um, you know, to the right place where you need to be to start making use of that discount because you do got to go to a specific uh, page within the dashboard area for members and fill out some is it a form? Is a form you fill out, right? If you're already a member of the USCCA, then yeah, you fill out a form to request the discount. If you are not yet a member of the USCCA, but you'd like to join and receive the 50% discount, there's just a button you click on. It takes you to their website and automatically applies the discount. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So to get to there, to that page within the dashboard area, just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash GN dash member dash discounts. Boom. And uh, I'm there right now. So yeah, here you go. Partner discounts, USCCA. Click here to learn more. Awesome stuff. Well, with that, Jacob, uh, really exciting stuff going on here at ConcealedCarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, but today's episode is also exciting. Nine pro shooting tips from the pros. Should we kick it off? Game on, dude. You ready? Should we just play the first one? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so this very first one is uh, from Kyle Lamb. Uh, we love Kyle. We've done a number of uh, things with him for the last couple of years. And uh, we've trained alongside him, which has been, which was a lot of fun as well. So here's a great shooting tip from Mr. Lamb. This is Kyle Lamb from Biking Tactics. And I guess my one tip I would give you concealed carry shooters out there is it's actually kind of a two-part wonder, I guess. First of all, train with the firearm that you actually carry for concealed carry. I know that's one of the things I get caught up in. I've got, uh, I've got my range rig and then I've got my concealed carry rig. And I always notice deficiencies when I get out there and train with my concealed carry rig. So always, always, always do that. Train with the gear you're going to carry and use the, use a pro timer if possible. That way you'll actually kind of know what, what you're up against, what the time standard is, where you want to be, where you're actually at. And it's the teller of truth, that little beeping box. Uh, keep listening to Riley and the team over there at concealedcarry.com. And once again, this is Kyle Lamb from Viking Tactics. And man, get on the range and take your kids shooting. There you go. 
I think there were three tips in there if we count the take your kids shooting. <laughs> that was a good one to sneak in there, Kyle. Yeah, for sure. So we'll start with using using the gear. So Kyle's such a smart dude. And uh, if you're a fire instructor long enough, you know this is a problem because you see people show up in a class and a course and they are, you know, they got some full size Glock 17 or full size MMP and they got two spare mags over on this side and, you know, the whole rig. And you ask them something like, well, oh, so is that what you carry? Oh, no, 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 I carry the shield. Or, oh, no, 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 I carry a Glock 43 or whatever. And so I think I think it's a really good tip from, from, from Kyle because inherently because a lot of the guns that we carry daily are not very fun to shoot or, or they're not as convenient to shoot or practice with, we often will you know, switch to a bigger gun or a different rig. That's absolutely true. You know, for our guardian courses that we've been doing, uh, you know, recently we were in we were in Cincinnati teaching uh, those three three courses over three days, and uh, you know, I always encourage people bring what you carry uh, because I would prefer to see you train with that. Uh, use the holster rig that you carry in. Uh, that's cool. That's great. Uh, that that definitely goes along with Kyle's tip. But at the same time, we also say in the description of that course, it's probably not recommended to show up with one of these, you know, ultra compact guns. And really for sure, what what I prefer not to see in that course is like a LCP or something, some really super small, you know, mouse gun. Uh, But if that's what you carry and that's what you want to train with, yeah, go for it. You're just going to have to reload a lot. Right. But that's, that's good practice for you. If that's what you're going to do and that's the way you carry, uh, that's what you should be training and, and you should practice reloads with that gun. You should practice malfunction clearing with that gun. I'll tell you on the original LCP, that's a challenge because you don't even have a slide stop. And if you got to do anything malfunction wise, or maybe you got to lock something back, you know, for clearing a double feed or something like this is where you start figuring out that your actual carry gear might not work the way you think it works <laughs> unless you actually spend some time uh, kind of proof testing it in the field. Yeah, I, I will add this this two cents, then I guess we can move on. And that is that a lot of shooting skills are transferable from gun to gun. So I think for, for newbies who are trying to establish a baseline of, of fundamental essential skills, it may be a little bit less important I think you could pick up any gun and shoot with it and start to establish simple things like grip and trigger. But but to, at some point, if you want to uh, continue to progress, if you want to level up your, your skills, you've got to start to practice with the thing that you carry. So anyway, I guess that would yeah. be my other little caveat. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. If someone shows up to my class and, and they are going to be doing the class with a gun or holster rig that they don't normally carry in, I'm not going to say, sorry, you got to go. But uh, I definitely will recommend that, you know, they should at some point during the class maybe switch over to that carry gun and try, you know, some of the things we're doing with that gun. Um, the other thing I'd say, too, is why are we carrying such small guns? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Riley just wants you all to stop carrying uh, LCPs. Uh, yeah, to- totally awesome thought. The other, I think, huge pro tip here from, from Kyle, and this is one that probably does not get enough airtime, uh, is get a shot timer. I remember at one point we did some sort of challenge competition thing with our Guardian Nation members. And we said, hey, you know, here's a challenge this month. Anyone who can, you know, everybody run this and we're going to give away prizes. The top. And it was amazing to me that almost all the members came back like, well, I don't have a shot timer, so I can't time myself. 
And uh, as, as Kyle said, the, the beeping box doesn't lie. Is that what he said or something like that? So, yeah. so get a shot timer. You know, you're probably into that. You know, you can go get the range tech shot timer from our site. that's made by the LASR guys. And I think it runs 30 bucks. It only works with Android phones, but um, it's very, very quality. It's very functional if, it, if it's compatible with your device. But otherwise, you know, for $100 or less, you could get a standard, you know, big box uh, beeper that will work and will be very effective. So shot timers, it helps you yeah. have a benchmark and, and know if you're improving or not. Yeah, no, that's also a very good good point uh we got a comment here from jason he says uh that i saw this with a p365 i became very proficient with it and then when i went back to my competition gun i was way more off than i thought i should have been i'm not exactly sure what you mean jason by like how you were off but i'll just say with the p365 for me is a little bit of a enigma like that it it shoots way better than i think it should for its size uh, I, I don't even know if I can put my finger on exactly why that is. I'll tell you, shooting the Glock 43, I am not nearly as capable with that than I am with the P365, and they're basically the same size of gun. Um, and I'm totally cool with carrying the, the 365 because capacity is so much greater. It's you know much close. It gets me close. I, I love carrying a Glock 19. In fact, what I've been carrying recently, and this is this is clear to everybody, but. Uh, what I carried the last couple of days was a Glock 17 because um, I found a holster setup that enabled me to carry this pretty well in appendix. Um, I prefer carrying a bigger gun. Uh, 365 is a great gun because it, it really small package and still manages to keep capacity, but you still got to practice with it. And I'll tell you, I definitely find shortcomings uh, as far as it is harder to reload that 365, right? It's smaller mags, smaller grip. Everything's harder to hold on to. Uh, so those are all additional reasons why you should be you know as as jay here says training how you fight yeah totally and jason adds that it's the compact form versus a full size grip changed and thus i had to re- okay re-refine my skills yeah, yeah. No, the point is different different guns are going to shoot differently and different size of guns especially may change some of the little nuances about yeah. your grip or things like that <laughs> now one thing i did learn by the way yesterday shooting at the range we were filming some videos you should see in our members area for guardian nation members here pretty soon uh but i was filming with a 365 which is what i've been shooting mostly in the last several months and then i sw- was shooting the glock and i kept short stroking the trigger on the glock <laughs> <laughs> because that trigger on the 365 is off the hook. I mean, it is a great trigger, especially for a small little gun. And I mean, it's, it's a better trigger than a Glock trigger for sure. So, you know, I just kept like not getting all the way out on the Glock. All right, let's take another tip. This one is from Eric Frohart, which, uh, he was also recently on the podcast. So here's Eric's tip. Hey, concealed carriers. This is Eric Frohart, director of education and training for the NRA. There are many different things we can do to become better shooters. And if I had to choose only one tip, it would be this. Focus on the basics. Too often, people try to move on to more advanced drills before having ingrained the basics. Working on the basics may seem boring at first, but the progress in the end will more than make up for it. Remember, the best do the basics better. Thank you, Riley, Jacob, and the team at ConcealCarry.com. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Great tip from Eric. And, and a guy who understands that, uh, I think two things that oh, this makes me think of, um, you know, coming from a, a former Navy SEAL and now the NRA Director of Education Training, it makes total sense. The first thing that makes me think of 
is that there is no way you can fire a gun and not need the basic skills, right? Like there's there's no situation environment or situation where you're going to fire a gun and grip doesn't matter, right? Like grip always matters. Uh, you know, trigger manipulation always matters. Your ability to uh, aim the gun, you know, sight alignment or sight picture, whatever you want to call it, that always matters. Uh, so I think I think that's the first thing that makes me think. And and then the other thing that it really comes down to for me is is kind of like the eighty twenty of gunfighting. Uh, these core simple things are the things that actually make all the difference. In other words, if I can decrease my draw and presentation time by 10%, it's probably more valuable to me than if I could increase my single support hand only shootings skills by 200%, right? 10% better at this skill is probably more valuable than 200% better at this other skill because the odds of me needing it are 100% versus, you know, 2%. And so anyway, that, I think that, that Eric's just hit, you know, hit, hit the, the nail on the head, I guess. Yeah. Yep. No, I think that's kind of a mantra of, of the Navy SEALs and, and a lot of our nation's elite soldiers is, I mean, that, that is truly, you know, I, I read the, I think it was in Adam Brown's book, the uh, Fearless, Fearless. Uh, which we talked, I think, a little bit about during that episode with Eric, because Eric knew Adam Brown, and Adam Brown was a Navy SEAL that died in an operation, uh, uh, I think, back in 2011. And um, you know, as you read that book, and you kind of you're following him along through all the different training that he's doing, and you really get the sense of how you know they 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 they're definitely working on the, on the basics uh, a lot like you have to master the basics before they you know before you're able to move up before you start doing any of the so-called advanced stuff uh you do you you know the navy seals clearly do those basic things better than you know your average person they have to um i think Kyle Lamb talking with him about some of the things he's done and and listening to you know what some of the expectations are of a shooter that's in Delta force as far as, I mean, their skill level and granted they get the advantage of being able to put thousands and thousands of rounds down, you know, range every year, but uh, their skill level has been honed to a point where they can point shoot way better than a lot of shooters can, you know, even aim using their sights uh, because they've just done it a lot. I think the takeaway is, that you can get to where you're intuitive, you're able to intuitively point and shoot um, really well, and not because you have some magic skill or talent for it, but because you've practiced all these other basics so well and mastered them. Uh, you know, yes, using your sights is important. We have a tip actually about that. Uh, I think that one's coming up here uh, in a couple. Yeah, e, I think that's Eve. She talks about using your sights. Very, very true. Um, but if you practice enough, you know, we're not talking about point shooting at a hundred yards or anything, but you know, seven yards, 10 yards, sometimes even you can get to a point where you've mastered grip, you've mastered, you, you, you fully understand and are comfortable with your natural point of aim and uh, trigger control, all that solid. So you're able to point and get sh- shots on target. Mm-hmm. What, one last thought here that I think is important because we often will use the vocabulary in the industry, like, well, you have to master these skills or once you've mastered this, then mm-hmm. move. And I think that's a really foolish 
way to consider these things because they're not mastered skills. That would suggest that there's some arrival point at which once you get here, you're done and you got that down now and you're as good as you as you can be. Um, it's not math. You know, it's not like once you know two plus two is four, like you'll never, like, you know, you're good. Like it's a skill that is always, always improving. So no matter where you are as a shooter, you can always get better at any of these fundamental skills. And so that's another thing to consider. You bring up an interesting point in shooting me down. Cause obviously I was talking about mastering skills and I, obviously I'm not thinking of like, there's a specific point uh, where suddenly you become a master. But uh, the, the, the point that you bring up is, is this could be a, a totally different topic for another day. How do you know when you sort of, I mean, I, let me flip this around a little bit, right? You talked about the importance of there's certain skills like like 100% of the time you're pretty much going to use that you need. So those you need to really know well. And there's some other skills that there's a possibility you might need them, but you might not necessarily always use those or need them in a shoot, right? Um, so maybe not spend quite as much time on some of those things, uh, but you got to really make sure you spend a lot of time on these other things that really do matter all the time, right? So... Mm-hmm you could also get to a point where you get so good at certain things that any additional time spent on it is maybe not beneficial so much, you know, uh, diminishing returns and maybe you should be spending a little bit more time on something else. So I'm going to ask, how do we know when we're kind of like, you know, we should never be satisfied with, I think where we're at for sure. But, you know, do you see where I'm getting at? Like, yeah, yeah. No, th- th- there's no correct answer to this. Uh, two things that will maybe help and maybe answer the question. The first thing I think that will help is to consider that when I'm training a lot of what we're calling advanced skills, which me and Riley both kind of hate using that word, but it's the easiest, easiest thing to say. When we're using, when we're training those, we're practicing those uh, skills and those kinds of things. We're also training the basics, right? Like if, if I if I'm practicing shooting from a crouched position around cover. On my support side, I am also in that moment practicing my grip and my side alignment and some of those other things. So that, that's one thing to consider. But here, I think if, if I had an easy answer for your rather complex question that doesn't have a good answer, it's probably that there are some industry standard drills that have a, a associated, I'll call them par times. Just like when I go golfing and they say, hey, par for this, this course is 35 and I go golf a 50. I know that I'm not as good as the standard that's been set for that golf course. And so, by the way, I don't golf. I hate golf. <laughs> but I think shooting is, is similar in that we have some industry standard drills that exist that have a, a kind of a, a standardized um, level of achievement. And that doesn't mean you can't improve once you've hit that standard, but it may give you some sense that, hey, you know, at the industry level, I'm, I'm hitting a certain standard. And standards are important. We're going to hear from Jeff Gonzalez here in a minute. He's big on standards. We named one of our courses in our curriculum uh, Guardian Standards uh, as, for that reason, because we think there is a place you need to get to have a certain degree of competence and confidence necessary uh, to go get, get done what needs to be done. Um, but th- those standards may be a little bit arbitrary, but, but we, there are points in the industry where we can look at and say this is measurable. Mm. Mm. Good thoughts, man. Uh, it's definitely something that I, I, I think we ought to you know, continue discussing at some point because I think there's some interesting things that could be discovered that I'll tell you one thing by not being satisfied with where you are at currently. What I have learned with myself is that there, there's always like some new horizon. So the more I spend time on, for instance, like my grip, like a year ago, my grip, I would say was still pretty good. Would you agree? 
better than mine, dude. That's all I can ever say. Like, uh, you, you, you've always been a better shooter than me, Riley. No matter how good I get, you always seem to be better. And so <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly chasing you. I just keep advancing, man. You know, like, uh, yeah, no, but no. So like a year ago, my grip was, was a decent grip, right? There, there, was, no, there was nothing wrong with my grip per se, but in the last year, I would definitely say from where I was a year ago, even to where I am now, it's even more improved. And a lot of those little tweaks and, and improvements would not have happened if I had gotten to a point where I said, I'm good enough. You know, this works. I'll just stick with this. Sure. No, I'm constantly like thinking, okay, analyzing. Well, no, what if I do this? What if I tweak that? And that's led to me finding and discovering new things about myself, my hands, how they work, the guns that I shoot, and making little tweaks. And it gets a little better and a little better. And that might only result in one or two or three percent more improvement. But, you know, over time that adds up. And I do sense that a lot of shooters kind of go, well, grip, uh, it's not that complicated. I grab the gun and I put this other hand here. I'm good. But we see shooters at every class we teach almost every shooter where we can definitely look at and go, okay, you could do this, you can tweak that and it, it will make a difference for them. So don't, don't ever get satisfied or, or com- too comfortable with where you're at. Constantly be looking for opportunities for improvement. Okay. Here's a tip coming up from, uh, Annette Evans and, uh, she's real big on dry fire. I, I don't remember what she talks about in her tips, so it might be dry fire related or not. I don't recall. But uh, you should check out her book, The Dry Fire Primer. I think we have that available for sale on our on our website. We do. Um, so it's like eight bucks. It's a very a very affordable book. It's a great book. Uh, very quick read, but it's got a lot of great stuff in it. So here's Annette's tip. Hi, this is Annette Evans, the beauty behind the blast with Race Street Range. I'd like to share a tip with concealed carriers that will really improve their everyday shooting, everyday life. And that is to every time you put on your gun in the morning, every time you put on your gun before you go out, spend two minutes taking the time to just clear your cover garment and get a full firing grip on your handgun. Do that at least 10 times before every time you go out, and that's going to improve your draw if you have to use your gun. I hope that helps you. Thank you, Riley and the team at ConcealedCarry.com for letting me join the fun. Man, I love how they all say thank you, Riley, and the team. <laughs> you are the host. You're the official host. <laughs> I did not tell them to say this, but you must have. I did. I did tell them to say that. Um, so I, I like I like this tip, and this is something that uh, you and I do a lot. In fact, I think I don't know if I learned this from you. I, I don't remember who I learned it from. Heck, but I'm, just, do, I'm just, doing it right now, man. Yeah, just this idea of clear the cover garment, establish the grip. Right, clear the cover garment, establish the grip. Um, now, if, if you have a real gun, you may or may not feel comfortable doing a full draw stroke. Uh, I think that's probably the evolution of this tip from Annette. But I think Annette's uh, simple idea of clear the cover garment and establish a solid grip is a fantastic uh, tip. And it, and it takes very little to just do that for a couple of repetitions, 10 repetitions, 15 repetitions, uh, one minute, two minute worth, I think is what Annette suggested. And it's just an easy thing that just refreshes that muscle memory uh, you know, you, we, we talk about how you, uh, you know, once you know how to ride a bike, what's the, what's the cliche phrase? You always remember how to ride a bike. I don't know. Anyway. You, it's like riding a bike. That's it's like riding a bike. Yeah. You, you never forget. But, but for those of us who have not been on a bike for 10 years and jump on, you know that it, that it is, it is something that does not feel immediately comfortable that it, it does take a little work. And so it's the same thing with, you know, if the last time you took a, a live fire class on the gun range with an instructor was a year and a half ago. Um, you know, if, if daily you're just establishing that quick grip, 
you are reminding the body of a muscle of, of that. I'll use the term muscle memory that is so valuable and inherently important. Uh, in the average, you know, all of us know that the odds of us having to use a gun in self-defense are pretty low. But even if that happens, the odds of you having to do anything more than simply clear a garment, draw a gun and get a shot off as quickly as you can, it's also pretty pretty low. I mean, odds are that's basically all you're going to have to do. Yeah. So do it well. Getting that initial grip on the gun is one of the most important things that you got to do. So yesterday I was out filming at the range and I was working on some drills and there was a couple of times where I you know, did not get an ideal grip on the gun before I ran a drill few reasons for that. Number one, I was trying to push it very fast, you know, so you're always like, put, I, I'm always pushing that envelope. So where, you know, you kind of start breaking down a little bit and I got to go, okay, you know what? It's more important that I get a good grip than it is that I go super, super fast. So you got to recognize that breakdown point and kind of dial that back a little bit and go, okay, get that solid grip. The second thing was that I was wearing our dang polo shirts with our logo on them, Jacob. And I just... <laughs> I don't know what it is about those, that, that slick fabric and they're kind of a little bit tighter fitting. And, uh, I just, a couple of times I actually gripped the gun with the shirt still kind of around the gun. I was like, oh man, you know, so that, that's why this is so key. I, I like her tip that she is saying before you go out the door, just stop, pause. And it only takes you a minute at most and do 10 repetitions of just clear the garment and assume that grip. And you could do that with your live gun. You know, don't draw it out of the holster. Be safe. You've got your gun loaded, strapped on, and you're just doing the the, the memory, you know, muscle memory kind of routine of clear garment, index gun. And we talk about an index of hitting that gun, you know, the, the beaver tail on the on the grip and everything, hitting that the same way. So it you do that the same way every time. That's that's what's key. And muscle memory is an interesting thing. Obviously hundreds or thousands of repetitions builds muscle memory in a, in a big way, but also the, it, it, it's more than that. It's the frequency that you do that. And it also how recently you last had repetitions, right? And if you just did something this morning and you did it 10 times and before you did it this morning, 10 times, you've done it thousands of other times, you know, every other day or every week or every month or whatever, but all those thousands of times added up. And then you've done it as recently as this morning. Like that is very, very, very valuable for those, for those, if, you know, efficient brain connections going on up there that help you get that so-called muscle memory. I think you're on mute. Yeah, there we go. Oh. I also <laughs> think that just because we don't wear the same thing every day. You talk about how that particular shirt is more challenging. That day you might be wearing a coat or a jacket or have gloves on, right? That day before you go out the door, doing those couple of quick repetitions will also help you establish, you know, I'll call it again, the muscle memory for that particular outfit. And, and so I think it's really critical. A good comment here from Jay that I think is worth reading here. He says, the most important portion of practicing drawing from a concealed holster is keeping your finger off the trigger until you have the weapon point down range. So just, yeah, we got to remember, we definitely got to remember the safety. We got to be ha establishing a proper draw, right? A proper grip on the gun during that draw stroke. And that includes keeping that trigger finger straight. Yeah. Yep. No, that, that's true. Like, I don't know. Do you even have to think about where your finger is? When I you don't draw? think about it. No. Right. And that, that's, that's the key. Say, if you right. do this correctly enough times um, and it's good to occasionally stop and, 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 
reaffirm with yourself that you're still doing things correctly. So there are definitely times I'll, I'll be doing dry fire and I'll just stop and be like, okay, where's my finger right now? Oh, it's where it's supposed to be. Good. You know, like just making sure that you're still doing things correctly. And that's what muscle memory is all about is getting to where things occur on a more subconscious level. All right. So here's our next tip. Uh, we have one now from John Korea. This is John with active self-protection. One tip that I'd like to share with concealed carriers that will improve their shooting is to actually do the work. You will not get better unless you actually do the work. Now, what does the work look like? Well, once you've taken a couple of classes and you know the things that make for good defensive shooting, that means you need to do your dry fire three days a week, 10 minutes each time at least. If you don't do that level of work, you won't get better. So make sure you follow all your safety protocols and do safe and effective dry fire work three times a week. Do that for several months and get to the range at least once a month to verify that your dry fire work is helping you in your live fire. If you do the work, you will improve as a defensive shooter. Thanks to Riley and the team at ConcealedCarry.com. I like that one, Jacob, because we kind of were my last comment where I sort of left off at is like, doing things thousands or hundreds or thousands of times, doing it over a period of time, doing it frequently and recently. And that's basically what he's saying here is like, that requires work and requires dedication. So John is saying, do the work. Yeah. I appreciate the word work versus other things we might often use, you know, Oh, you gotta do your practice. You gotta do your dry fire. You gotta do, but he, I love how he uses the work, the word, do the work required because it, it is work. Uh, simply in the sense that you actually have to exert effort and energy. And, and it, it also requires establishing a habit. He gave a very specific standard. He said dry fire you know, three times a week for at least 10 minutes each. That's not a lot. I mean, you know, most of us think of uh, exercise is something we're supposed to do three times a week for at least 30 minutes each. So I would say dry fire is you know, something that's considerably more convenient and takes less time. Uh, so I think that's a great tip from John and, and from a guy who gets it. Absolutely. Yeah, that... <sighs> Doing the work is a hard thing, right? Especially when you actually have a job you do, you know, it's like you already have to work and then you already have, chances are, a home uh, to take care of, a family to take care of. You have all these other things that also require work. And so that's where shooters a lot of times don't advance the way they should because there's all these other important things in life that we must also take care of and we got to work for. And then oh, you want me to learn this other thing that requires time and effort and, and and possibly money too, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, like if you're serious about carrying concealed, serious about being prepared to defend yourself and or your family, that takes work too. So how do we get a lot of our other work accomplished? Well, it's scheduled, you know, if we work, well, a lot of us probably work eight to five. So you have that schedule. Um you know, you, you have certain activities, maybe it's church, church occurs at a certain time, you do certain activities there, you know, like that's, it's scheduled. So you're going to show up at that time, you're going to do that work. A lot of times, uh, people don't do a very good job with their weight loss routines, with their exercise routines, because they don't schedule it and make it a routine, an actual routine. And the same is true with doing the work of learning how to shoot and uh, be effective with a gun. So schedule it. Uh, one thing that is great, though, about you and I, Jacob, at least in our work, and, and I suspect this is true of many of our listeners, probably not everybody, but some of our listeners could probably do this, right, where they're in an environment where they can get away with it, whether it is with a cert pistol or even with a safe 
live fire gun, right? Um, I'm often sitting here prepping for a podcast or something, and you just have that moment where you just need to step back, take a take a little breather, and I could do quick, you know, five uh, presentations from the holster with a cert pistol. Uh, occasionally, I'll do it with the live fire gun here. I'll, I'll clear it, make sure it's all safe. I got a safe direction right here in front of me at the desk here. I'm kind of facing a wall here. The door is this other way. So take a moment, do a couple repetitions. And you can do that throughout the day. I know you do it. I do it. And and that's another way of taking something that is that requires work and effort, but breaking it up uh, throughout a day or finding just opportunities where it doesn't seem quite as much like it's work because you're just you're doing it almost for fun a little bit, you know, too. Well, yeah, that's probably the last thing I'll add to this is that we, we, you talk about the word work because it is work. It does require, you know, exertion and energy. But I also think inherently that if you don't find a way to enjoy firearm practice and training and learning, then you just, you'll never probably ever do it enough because it's, it's, it's not something that inherently you're going to see the ROI of all the time. And you may never really need the ROI if you're never in a defensive shooting. So unless you learn to enjoy it, unless you find a way to make it something you like doing, you're probably never going to do it enough. So you got to figure out how to make it fun or enjoyable or whatever is necessary so that you're a person who looks forward to it. Yep. Now here's tip number five coming up from Clint Macro. Hello, this is Clint Macro, founder of the Trigger Pressers Union. One tip that I'd like to share today to help conceal carriers improve their shooting is to make sure that your gun, your carry gun, fits your hand, especially in regards to grip angle. An easy way to check this is to get a perfect two-handed thumbs-forward grip in a high-compress-ready position. Close your eyes and drive the gun to full extension. Make sure both arms are at full extension. Open your eyes and see if the sights are level. By closing your eyes, you're depriving your brain of visual input and you're allowing your body to point the gun naturally. If you do this exercise and the front sight is higher or lower than the rear sight, then the grip angle doesn't fit you. I don't recommend carrying a gun that doesn't fit your hand. If your gun has interchangeable back straps, then swapping them out might fix the problem. But your gun, especially your particular tool of self-defense, must point where you are looking. It must point naturally or kinesthetically. You can check this easily at the gun shop. Just don't point the gun at the clerk or the other customers when you try it. If the grip angle fits your hand, when you extend the gun parallel and into your line of sight, you will find it much easier to maintain a level of accuracy without using your sights. That's if you're focused on the target. Or find it more efficient to achieve precision when you do use your sights. In a defensive application, we need to be able to use our tools with the least amount of cognitive processes possible. Save that brain processing power for target identification, recognition of what's around our target, avoidance, and even escape. It is important to be confident with your own level of competency in using unsighted and sighted fire both and recognize when you need to use your sights or not. Having a gun that fits and has the correct grip angle for you will help you with this. Stay safe, be well regulated with your defensive tools, and be a good ambassador for the safe and responsible use of firearms. Wow. Pretty pretty good stuff there. And it sounded great too. He's, he's got a sound recording studio, so that kind of makes sense from Clint. <laughs> but, uh, although he didn't say thank you, Riley and team, but, uh, we'll forgive him for that, for that. Thank you, Riley and team. It's okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I loved his tip because I think a lot of times when we talk about, you know, a proper grip or that gun fitting in your hands, we almost, maybe I'm the only one who's guilty of this. Maybe it's just me, but I think that I, I tend to really focus on purely the size aspect, right? Oh, this gun is correct size for my hands. This gun is too small for my hands. This gun is too big for my hands, whatever. But uh, I think Clint brings up a super valid point that maybe we don't talk about as much, and that is the idea of a grip angle. The gun may fit in my hands in terms of it being the proper size, but it may be shaped in such a way that when I kinesthetically you know, draw this thing to the target, it doesn't align properly for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting one for me because I, I completely agree with what he's saying. I think uh, a lot of shooters have their own natural point of aim, their own natural way of the way their their hands and their body is built. Um, and so this tip I think is really great, especially for a newer shooter, as far as getting started in the right place and, and in the right way with the right gun. So very, very valuable tip. And I definitely would encourage uh, people to try this as they're evaluating a, a new gun purchase, for instance, especially if it's a, if it's going to be a, a carry gun. Um, I was just thinking though, Jacob, that for a long time, I, I, I shied away from shooting Glocks because, uh, I had grown up shooting 1911s and, you know, some of these other guns with a lot straighter grip angle. And every time I'd put a Glock in my hand, it felt odd. And I would tend to sort of point it a little bit high naturally, right? Uh, a few years ago, I moved over to the Glock platform for carry and for a duty weapon. And, uh, I retrained my, my body, I guess, to where that started to feel natural. All right. So that's, you know, that, that got to a point where I just tested it just now, right? Where as he was walking us through this, I was closing my eyes, pointing this out and then looking opening my eyes and looking at my sights and things were lined up because I've trained to make that, you know, naturally point at the same time, I've done the same thing with a P320, which has kind of that traditional grip angle, like a 1911 does. It's less steep than a Glock. And if I had my 320 handy, I would do it, but I'll bet you, cause I know I've done it before that I could punch that out, you know, push out to a full extension and look at, and then open my eyes and look at my sights and they'd be, you know, lined up or even. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think this is a great tip for a newer shooter. Um, but if you've got a lot of time behind a trigger and you've shot a lot of different guns, I definitely think, and it's part of this muscle memory thing we were just talking about that if you get a lot of reps with gun A and you get a lot of reps with gun B, you can learn how those two guns will point naturally for you. You have to make you know little adjustments, but you can learn to do that. And I know as soon as I put my hand on a Glock, I know exactly what I'm holding. And I know exactly how this points. Put my hands on a 320, same thing. And I'm getting to that point on the 365. And that has actually been one thing that's really impressed me with that 365 is actually from pretty early on, it has pointed very naturally for me. But yet it has a very almost 90 degree angle type, you know, grip to it as compared to Glocks. So anyway. We should get some sponsorship money from Sig Sauer for all as much as you talk about the P365. <laughs> it, uh, I, I it's think, it's yeah, an awesome I, gun, dude. <laughs> I'll try and just summarize something that you and Clint are both saying and, and try and be a little succinct here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really important to understand that you know, we talk about natural in a lot of things in firearm training, but you can change nature. You can change what is natural for you with enough, enough reps. But at the same token, if you pick up a gun and it doesn't have a good natural point of aim for you, 
instead of working your butt off to make that gun work, and, and you know, we can talk about how much work is required, you might also just pick up a different gun that does natural align for you without any work. Uh, so I think that's kind of what Clint is getting at is that you know if you're if you if you're using a gun that doesn't have that natural uh, you know alignment when you know kinesthetically for you, you can just work to make that work, or you can pick up a different gun. You know that, that maybe it just does. Sure. And that's, that's perfectly acceptable, and, and that's probably the most reasonable thing to say for most most shooters. Sure, um, I definitely, I, yeah, I agree. You don't have the opportunity like you to train with tons of different guns. You know, and put a lot of hours at a range. People probably, probably people probably think I I spend twenty hours a week at the range shooting. You know, two two thousand. You would like a week. to. Oh, I'd love to, but I I certainly don't. <laughs> most of my most of my trigger time is dry fire. I spend uh, and probably an abnormal amount of time just dry firing at home, and uh, that I, it can't be stated enough. I don't think how effective dry fire can be for you as shooters, everybody, all of us. Um, you want to hear the honest to goodness truth? I don't know if I've ever put this out on the air, but uh, uh, several years ago, probably six, seven years ago, when I first started to get kind of back into being really heavy with, with shooting and instructing. Uh, my budget was really tight for ammo. And this is what I'm will I'm willing to say this. I went from being an average shooter to being a pretty good shooter above average. I, I would say I made a lot of strides, a lot of improvement. And I did 98% of that dry fire. I'm not saying that you can always entirely replace live fire, but I'm saying that I have had certain points in my life where due to financial reasons, due to time reasons, whatever it is, where if you put in the time uh, effectively dry fire practicing, you can make huge gains and you'll feel the difference when the next time you go out to the range. And there was a time where I was only going to the range once every, every quarter, once every three months. But every time I went, I was like, whoa, I'm better. Whoa. I'm, you know, like, see what I'm saying? So that that's just really key. And you could put in that time and uh, do the work, as John Korea says. All right. Got another tip here from, and actually, Clint was talking about sites a little bit. Eve Flanagan, our next tip here. She's got a great tip about sites. Hey, this is Eve Flanagan, an instructor in the great American Southwest. The tip I would like to share today is the power of focusing on the front sight. Assuming that your rear sight, your front sight, and your target are all aligned, uh, focusing your eye on the front sight is actually the technique that took me from being a decent shooter to being a really good shooter. I guarantee it'll cut the size of your groups in half. And while this may be the most counterintuitive thing uh, you ever learn in terms of the shooting fundamentals, it really does work. I'd like to give a big thanks to Jacob Riley and the team at concealedcarry.com. She made sure to thank you first. <laughs> You're on mute, dude. Yeah, and that was not in the instructions. So, yeah, <laughs> she, really, she really is thankful. Yeah, yeah. That, that came from the heart, I could tell. Yeah. So uh, uh, front sight's focus is not a new concept, uh, which many of these tips are not, but it might be something that if you're listening to this, you know, there's out of these nine, 10 tips that we share today, hopefully there's one or two that are going to be your new big thing. You're going to go work on when you practice. This might be one for some of you uh, because, you know, you've heard this before, but you never either understood really what it actually meant. Cause it's not as intuitive as it might sound, or you just kind of thought, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's that critical. 
so I think that this, this could be one. You know, an interesting thought about the front sight that, that might be helpful. No matter what I do with my gun when aiming, I can always see the rear sight, right? Like it, it's virtually impossible for me to do something with this gun where the, the, the rear sight would become invisible. The front sight, that is not the case. You know, it doesn't take much tweaking at all of this of this gun to make my front sight disappear. You know, either it's it, it's hidden below the muzzle or it's being blocked by one of the rear sight posts or whatever it might be. So one thing I found that when I focus on the front sight, one of my just greatest, simple, easy benefits is that I ensure I actually see the front sight, right? That I'm putting it somewhere between those two rear posts. And that simple fact uh, it has, has helped me a ton because frankly, like the, the little bit of deviation uh, of putting my front sight just a little bit too far to the right or too far to the left would be in, in the notch of the rear sights isn't a big deal. But just being able to make sure that I see the front sight between the rear notch, that that is huge. And just by by ensuring I'm focusing, I'm looking for and focusing on the front sight, that that, that is probably the biggest thing I've derived in value in, in this simple tip. Yep. I like it. I, I, I don't know if I got any extra to, to add. So um, people are probably tired of hearing from me anyway. So let's listen to the next one. This is from Chris Chang. Coming right up. There it is. This is Chris Chang, History Channel's Top Shot Season 4 champion and author of the best-selling book for new shooters called Shoot to Win. I'd like to share one great tip on trigger control that will help you improve your shooting. Good trigger control helps ensure that the sights don't move as you pull the trigger. So here's the tip. Fully unload your pistol and make sure all ammunition is in a separate room or area. Once you confirm that your chamber is empty, Place a penny flat on top of your front sight and bring the gun up to eye level. Pull the trigger all the way back until you break the shot and do it so the penny stays on the front sight the entire time. Reset and do it again and again until you consistently succeed. Once you're ready, load up with ammo and see how much more accurate you'll be. I cover this tip and many more in my book, Shoot to Win, a book for the new shooter. This is Chris Chang, and I hope you enjoyed this tip. Thank you, Riley, and the team at ConcealedCarry.com. That's right, Chris. Way to get your priorities straight. Riley comes first. <laughs> okay, so I, I, this is another great tip. Uh, uh, this is something I've used myself and I've done with students. Uh, it's Kind of an old tip. I, I don't remember where I first discovered this. I think I might have learned this from an, from a family member or my uncle or something years ago. Uh, and it, it's just actually one of those dry fire tools. It doesn't cost you any money except for maybe one penny. <laughs> you know, and as long, as long as you don't lose it, it doesn't it still doesn't cost you anything. And uh, it's challenging to do, and it's kind of fun to do because you know you're, you're trying to balance this penny on your front sight. Now, on some guns, this is very difficult. If you have standard Glock sights, you know, the, which is what I have on my cert pistol here. Uh, this little guy here, th th this does not, I mean, you could do it. And if you really want to challenge, you throw a penny on top of that little tiny Glock front sight, and that'll really cause you to focus hard to keep from jiggling that off as you are, uh, pressing the trigger. So, uh, it's fun to do. It's really challenging to do. And, it, I think it does it, the, uh, penny trick on the front sight use it, did what for me now the demantis x does 
to be honest with you, because, you know, increasing that focus and concentration as you're trying to, you know, learn how to press that trigger so things don't move. Yeah, I think, I think that's valid. I mean, for me, um, I think it's just, it's just a simple issue of I'm trying to hold this gun as still as I can. And sometimes we don't really know if we are actually holding it still or not. So any tool that allows us to see what movement, if any, we are you know, causing in the gun during a trigger press and when in the trigger press we're doing it to me is awesome. And the penny is just a simple, easy way to do it. And, and I'll tell you, if you struggle with this, if, if you're the first time you try it, like, oh my gosh, this is, a, this is impossible. You know, take the penny off the site and just set it on the top of the muzzle uh, toward the front, you know, maybe right behind the, the front side or something like that. Uh, you should, you know, hopefully have a little flat spot and you can put it and try it there for a while and then move it up onto the site itself. And that'll increase your difficulty. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. So here's another one. This one is from Jeff Gonzalez. Hi, I'm Jeff Gonzalez, president of Trident Concepts. Today, I'd like to share a pro tip for improving your shooting from concealed carry. From an educational standpoint, we want to work from the simple to the complex. This means not just starting with the simple things, but making them as simple as possible. This is helping in two ways. First, it establishes a solid base. And second, it helps to isolate your weak areas. Everything we do down to the smallest detail must be performed to a minimum performance standard. It does you no good to advance something else if you haven't met the standard. It's like putting too much weight on a barbell thinking you can make the lift. You either miss the lift or you injure yourself due to bad form or technique. Now, to help improve these micro tasks, I suggest performing them at slow speed. Slow speed is excruciatingly slow, but incredibly valuable. By moving at this speed, what you're doing is thinking your way through the technique, thereby allowing the best conditions for success. You literally think through each of these micro tasks that make up the larger tasks, but at a speed that ensures you're able to perform them to the standard. As you perform the task over and over, your ability to perform at a high level of precision becomes more natural. Setting the stage for increased speed, which is the next level, which is a whole other subject. I'm Jeff Gonzalez. Until then, train hard and stay safe. Yeah. What's your take on that, Jacob? Great tip from Jeff. Uh, as always, he, we heard, I, I knew he was going to say something about standards because that, that's his shtick and I love it. Uh, but I, I love what he said about pains. I don't know how he phrases something like painstakingly slow. Uh, and and I, I love that, how, you know, forcing the brain to think through things. We talk often about, you know, practice makes perfect. And then, you know, now everyone loves to say, well, perfect practice makes perfect. Right. And I think that Jeff's, Jeff's simple idea of I try to take things down to the simplest point possible. And when I go as slow as I possibly can, I force my brain to think through every little tiny element. And a, another side benefit of that to, to me is that then I ensure the highest likelihood that I do it perfectly. And when I do it perfectly, then I'm going to have the best chance of doing it correctly later because the, you know what the body's really good at doing without any practice at all? Going faster. It takes very little work. You, you, do, you do not ever have to practice being fast. Now, you do have to practice uh, you're doing certain things well when you go fast, but you don't actually have to teach your body to move quickly. In a life-threatening situation, the body will move quickly. It, it's, it's inherent. It's natural. It's instinctive. You will move fast. Um, the question is, will you move well? Will you do it correctly? And so I, I love this idea of just making it as slow as possible to ensure that my perfect 
practice is making perfect, right? That I'm, I'm doing it as correctly as I can in every little tiny simple element of, of whatever that is. If it were my draw stroke, for example, and going nice and slow, establishing that perfect grip, coming up in, in, into, my, into my ready position, establishing the two-handed grip just nice and slow and just perfectly locking in the pins between those knuckles and coming in and dropping in my clamp and then perfectly pushing out as I pick up that front sight. And, you know, all those little things, just doing that as slowly as I, as I can and doing it perfectly is going to make sure I do it correctly when my body naturally will move and push myself to go fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really appreciative of Jeff's tip because it, it sounds very, uh, as he was explaining and talking about it, it's like very smart sounding. <laughs> but uh, uh, I like, you know, this is, a, this is a great, what I took from it is that it's just a really good idea sometimes to really slow yourself down and just walk yourself through the process step by step by step by step. We do this in our Guardian Essentials pistol course. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are what your skill level is. If you take that course on day one, within the first hour or two, you are going to be practicing by the numbers very slowly drawing from a holster. Number one, as instructors, I like to ensure that we know that everybody on that firing line is comfortable doing that without breaking some you know safety violation or putting somebody else at risk. Uh, so it's a check for us to to watch, observe, and make sure everybody's drawing from the holster, not putting fingers on triggers when they shouldn't be, all that stuff. But it's also just a great practice to go nice and slow and be very thoughtful, methodical, mechanical almost, so that you, like you said, Jacob, I and mean, you do everything super slow, and it becomes easy to go fast as long as you get those reps. Okay, let's see. We've got... Tip number nine, actually. We are now to John Wallace of Shooter Technology Group. Here we go. This is a great tip from John. Hi, this is John from Shooter Technology Group. One tip that I would like to share with concealed carriers that will improve their shooting is really I just encourage you to change it up. A lot of people just go to the same indoor range and shoot the same target from a static position. Uh, You need to change up your practice. You need to do more challenging targets, more challenging situations, wear different clothing, try different shooting positions, uh, try shooting around covers, things like that. All of these things you do need to do some research on to make sure that you're practicing them properly and, and most importantly, safely. Um, there's plenty of uh, different reference materials out there available for that. But, again, if you're not out there challenging yourself and pushing yourself to do better, then you're not really going to grow as a shooter, and that's kind of what we're all about, aren't we? Cool. Thank you, Riley, and the team at ConcealedCarry.com for the chance to give you all these tips. <laughs> I thought he was done. You but, cut him off, dude. Not cool. <laughs> but he then he had, yeah. You. Yeah, you know, well, at least it was for a good reason, you know, that he, uh, you know, he paused. I think it's because he was just being very thoughtful. Like, hey, and thank you, Riley. Um, okay, so <laughs> um, I, I like I like this, I, this tip. Change it up. Yeah, um, yeah, we do get stuck in a rut, right? We do the same stuff over and over again. And hopefully that means we're getting really good at one little thing. Um, but it, it not not only does it prevent us from from getting gaining additional skills, but it also potentially produces a, a serious training scar where our body only knows how to do one thing in response. Yeah, you know this is 
interesting because just recently I was at an indoor range, the one I shoot at frequently here close to my home, which is Blue Core Shooting Center, part owned by Eric Frohart that we heard from earlier. Uh, and I've you know gotten to know a couple of the shooters, whether I've actually talked to them personally or I just recognize some of the shooters. And this one guy I have seen in there a couple of times now, and this is his training routine. And I, I kid you not, he shows up, puts his stuff on the table, puts up a target, and it's always the same target. It's uh, just a, I think it's just a standard bullseye. Uh, but it looks like he prints it himself, like at home on printer paper. Okay. Sends it out to five yards, and then he pulls out, uh, it's a 380, it's a bodyguard, Smith & Wesson bodyguard. Okay. And he draws, actually he doesn't draw. Uh, he just picks it up off the table and he does this. Bang, 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 bang. Because it's like a seven shot gun or whatever, right? So he, he literally just double taps and he does that over and over and over again for like 45 minutes. And it, it, I've seen him now like, like three times and it he does the exact same thing. And I'm like, Okay, dude, one of these days I'm going to have to talk to you because this is just <laughs> driving me crazy. <laughs> well, it can't be enjoyable. Like, I, I struggle to find out how, how that's even, like, how that's fun enough to, to <laughs> motivate me to go to the range. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you a tip that um, I, I share with people these days is some of you have probably seen the Live Fire Drill Card book from Burnett. And it's a product that we sell in our store, but you can get it on livefiredrillcards.com or something like that. And it's just a, it's just a collection of drills. And how to run those drills and a place to write down your score, you know, over time, each time you run the drill. And I, I think it's a great way to just mix it up. I mean, just it's a great way to just say, okay, I'm going to take this book with me and I'm going to start at number drill number one. I'm going to run drills one through five tonight. And next time I come to the range, maybe I'll do one through five again. Or maybe I'll do six through seven or something. And I think it's just a great way to, to switch it up and do something different. If, you, if you're looking for a technique. I also really like, uh, you know, we heard from Jeff Gonzalez earlier on, on, on from his tip, but he has those uh, Tecost. I don't even know what, how you say it, those training cards. Uh, Tecos cards. Tecos, thank you. I'm sure there's a reason for that and I should know. But anyway, Tecos cards. And we sell them on our site and he has them on his site too. But the Tecos cards, just a deck of cards and you can buy them for pistol, for, for carbine, or for dry fire. And you just pull out a, you know, that's a very specific weight. It's 52 cards and you just kind of go through almost this like training program, but it prevents it from getting boring or horrible or not fun anymore. So I think it's a real, just kind of clever way to mix it up as John said. Yep. Um, yeah, do that. Mix it up. <laughs> try, try a new drill this week. Uh, try, uh, you know, mix it up too, as far as like the way you shoot, not just constantly the same, you know, draw, present, two-handed grip, fire. Um, try shooting support hand only occasionally. Try, uh, and this one's interesting. I was, who was I talking with recently? I was talking, to, oh, I know, Dave Young. And we're going to hopefully get him lined up on the podcast soon. Uh, Dave Young of uh, Arma Training. And he was on our uh, broadcast from the Concealed Carry Expo. We had a really fascinating interview with him. Dave travels the country, spends all his time training military and law enforcement, does very little civilian training, um, but he's starting to kind of maybe crack that door open a little bit. And he was talking about the importance of, he, he, with his students too, he will train and teach them to, you know, shoot strong, uh, well, both hands obviously, but su then strong hand only, support hand only, and not only the hand, but then also practice shooting with your middle finger, 
practice shooting with your ring finger and even I think practice with your pinky. <laughs> okay. Like supposing that on both hands, supposing that you end up in a situation where maybe you're, you're defending yourself against a knife or a machete attack and you got three of your fingers chopped off. What are you gonna do then? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever tried shooting with my pinky now, middle finger. Yes. I don't know if I have even tried the, 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 you know, ring finger there. So that just kind of, wow. Okay. I got to try this now. You know I mean? Like, so try switching it up in those sorts of ways too. So too often, I think I'm guilty of this, of just shooting with two hands fully ex- extended all the time. Uh, do some single hand shooting, mix up fingers, whatever, be safe, of course, but those are also great opportunities to mix things up. All right. Uh, we have a bonus tip. So we, we have nine tips and then we have one bonus. No, really we have 10 tips, but I just wanted to call it nine tips. Uh, and so, and originally I think we had nine people call call in with their tips, Jacob. And then we had one more kind of last minute. So uh, anyway, here is our 10th tip from our shooting pro uh, to help you become a shooting pro. And this one is from who? Who do you think, J- Jacob? I'm guessing Seaclander. Yeah, it's the one guy that we haven't covered yet. So here is a great shooting tip from Mike Seaclander. Hey, guys and gals. This is Mike Seaclander with shooting-performance.com as well as the AmericanWarriorSociety.com. And I have been asked to give you a shooting Tip. One of the tips that I'd like to share with concealed carriers across the U.S. and world is one simple thing that will make you a dramatically better shooter with the handgun, at least that is. And that is gripping the handgun harder than you think you should. I know a lot of people talk about relaxing your grip or a firm grip or gripping it as hard as you would grip a hammer on those to an extent may all explain how hard you should grip a handgun. But the bottom line is across the board with just about every single student I've ever trained, I've found that if I stand next to them and tell them, all right, fire a couple shots, you feel comfortable? Okay. Watch the front sight recover during recoil. Now I want you to take both of your hands, put them on the handgun properly and grip the handgun really hard. Now fire two shots and they see a distinct difference in their ability to recover the handgun during recoil. Hey folks, thank you to Riley and the team at concealedcarry.com for asking me to submit this tip. I hope this helps you out. And just remember, grip the gun hard. Thanks folks. Mike C. Klenner out. <laughs> Mike C. Klenner out. I'm uh, <laughs> saying that because it sounds so cool when he does it. Um, this is, I know this has been a big one for you, Riley. Uh, so yeah. I know you're going to have some thoughts here. Yeah. Um, it's been one that's, that I'm, I'm starting to understand more and more as we do it. We'll often be in a class and we'll, you'll go down the firing line and, you know, all the students will kind of have their gun at extension. You'll just walk up under, you know, kind of put your hands underneath their hands and just kind of squeeze and say, this is how hard I want you to squeeze. And almost every time students are like, Oh, <laughs> like, Holy crap, Riley's really clamping down on my hands here. And, and it just kind of sets in and they get it. I'll add, though, that while it's a good tip for everybody, the more hand strength you have, more grip strength you have, the better this is going to help you. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, I, I would call it like the secondary, uh, you know, tip that has to kind of go along with this is increase your grip strength. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I know that uh, Mike Seeklander would say the same thing. And obviously, he, he's also a fitness buff. So uh, that's that's a non-issue for him. 
uh, I have the benefit of having pretty strong hands because I worked construction for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, just swinging hammers and working with tools, screwdrivers, whatever it is, I mean, that, that all has a, a pretty good benefit, a side benefit of, of really strengthening the hands. Um, you know, Douglas, uh, who's viewing the podcast live today, uh, he actually commented, a, and this was before we got to the Seeklander tip, and he said, I use finger strengthening tools like one of the four plunger things. That's, that's what I've got right here. This is the, called the Grip Master, uh, yeah, Grip Master Pro Hands. Uh, and uh, this is this is great, and, you know. And I I like to mix this thing up. Uh, this is more specifically to like finger strength, but uh, I'll I'll change my grip on this, so I'll curl curl the fingers around it more. And then there's other times I, I work it where I, I try to use just the fingertips, and that's a lot harder. And uh, they got different. This is the heavy tension one, so this is a lot stiffer than some of the lighter ones. But you know, get the one that's appropriate for you. And and you know, sometimes I'm just working, and I'll just I'll just work this. You know, because it's really easy to do. This one works each of the fingers individually, which is which is cool. This is just a little kind of rubber ball that uh, you know, just just squeezing that, rolling that through the fingers. Sometimes I'll do, and that's really helpful. Um, and then you know, doing things like curls and push-ups and any of that kind of stuff too. If you're able to do that, like that, it's all gonna you know, it's all gonna add up. But yeah, strengthening the hands is and is is really really valuable. But my experience has been, and I think it's similar to Mike Seeklander's, Jacob, is that most shooters don't grip as tightly as they could. Uh, that, that most shooters are all capable of gripping tighter than they currently do. Even, you know, not because they're that, you know, not because they're already gripping at a point that is their max grip strength, but just because they're not gripping as tight as they, they maybe don't understand just how tight they should grip the gun. And there's a lot of old, I say old, um, kind of the NRA style of teaching grip. Uh, you know, and a lot of instructors that I see teaching, it's more focused around precision or or marksmanship t- style shooting, which is fine. I like to do the demonstration in classes. I think you've seen me do this, Jacob, where we'll take we'll take the gun out, right? And I'll almost grip it with nothing at all. In fact, I can I can actually grip with no fingers on the grip itself. Just have my thumb behind the beaver tail, and I'm entirely relying on my trigger finger for retaining that gun when, once it recoils and I could demonstrate, look, I can, sh- I can shoot and hit what I'm aiming at with no grip on the gun whatsoever. That's not the issue. The issue is controlling the gun throughout the, f- the whole firing process, right? Not just getting that shot fired, but then controlling the gun, getting back on target and getting fast follow-up shots if need be. That's what grip is really important for. And, and so in a defensive context, that becomes really critical. Yeah, and there's definitely a, a certain you know thought process out there for many people. It's like, well, if I, if I grip real tight, especially with my strong hand, then my trigger finger is not going to be as free to move. We could argue that. I think that there's, you know, my counter argument would be, well, if you really get good at training the trigger finger to move on its own, then, then that's going to help. And my second thought would be, if I really lock down the gun, if I grip it such that it's like an advice grip, then it doesn't matter what my trigger finger does because the gun is so locked down. It is so, you know, just tightly in its place. It's just completely clamped uh, from all my chest muscles, my arm, my grip, all of that, that it really shouldn't matter too much. Uh, I, I, you know, if I put this thing in a vice and I, you know, had this thing in a perfect vice, and I came in here and did some funky trigger squeeze with my finger. It wouldn't matter, would it? Because it's in a vice. And so anyway, yep. a couple other thoughts there that might, might help. And that, that is the example I like to use all the time is thinking of it 
like a vice. And I like to actually use this as a as kind of a counterpoint because some people say, no, you don't want to grip with, you know, too much grip. You, uh, I got in a, in a little bit of a discussion with somebody on some online forum last week or two weeks ago that was saying, well, you're, you're probably overgripping the gun. It was a response to why somebody was shooting poorly. And I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. Now, I, I can see, you know, imbalances in grip. That can create some things as far as like this hand is not gripping very tightly. This one's gripping super tight. Sometimes imbalances will cause some problems. But I'll say, look, grip as tight as you can with both hands, honestly. And if you're grip, gripping too tight and you can't work that trigger finger, well, work on that as a skill. Uh, work, you know, sometimes I'll just, <laughs> my wife makes fun of me. We'll just be sitting there and I'll just start doing this. I, I do it subconsciously. I do it without even thinking about it sometimes. I'm just like, do, do, do. Dude, and what am I doing here, Jacob? Oh, you're muted, dude. <laughs> he keeps forgetting to unmute himself. Yeah, I got too many background noise. I don't want anyone <laughs> to hear. You're, you're just teaching the trigger finger to move on its own. Yeah. Without, that, you know, isol- you're isolating that movement. That's all it is. And it's so simple. But, you know, there's so many things we do in life that, you know, where we, where we get so used to using all four fingers and our thumb as we grip things, as we grab things, as we pull things. And so just, just the act of teaching that separation of this can move independently of everything else, that's really key. So anyway, now I love that tip. Thank you, Mr. Mike Seeklander, for telling us that we should all grip our, our pistols tighter. <laughs> Good job, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. So, hey, I think that's all the tips. Do you got anything you want to add, Jacob? No, I just want to say thank you so much to all 10 of these awesome shooters and also friends of, of ConsolCare.com for their contribution to putting together this kind of content. If you guys enjoyed this, if you want to see more things like this, uh, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, kind of humbling, actually, that we put out the request to a number of people we know and said, hey, would you guys mind re- recording just a short tip? that we can use on the podcast. And the response that we received was, was awesome. It was, it's humbling, you know, that, that somebody like, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, Jeff Gonzalez, uh, is a busy dude and he's, he's on the range like all the time. He's teaching classes all the time and, uh, working on all these different projects and for him to just to take two minutes out of his day and send us that little recording. And, and the same is true of all these guys, uh, was, you know, I, I'm just very honored. Um, and, uh, grateful to you all for for doing this and i appreciated hearing everybody's uh perspective on these different training tips so uh jason comments here having just had a pro give me some personal tips i realized that my grip though pretty good was nowhere near as tight as it needed to be yeah i mean i'm glad you had the realization jason and uh, i'm glad you enjoy the show so yeah uh i think it's time to wrap it up just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by mantis x a uh, great training device. If you're interested, check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X, M-A-N-T-I-S-X. Also, today's episode sponsored by Barrel Block. Uh, head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash Barrel Block, B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K to get one of these dry fire training devices. It'll make your dry fire training uh, much, much safer. Uh, I mean, obviously, we always want to be responsible, follow all safety rules, clear our weapons appropriately when we're doing dry fire, but it's great to, just to have another uh, kind of a, a fallback, if you will, that when, when that's uh, installed, it's pretty hard to miss. You get your little orange. Actually, it's a different color in the different calibers, isn't it? But I'm always using the 9mm one, so it's orange. You see Correct. that orange tip come through the muzzle? Like, you know it's in there. Uh, 
yeah, it's just a just a great little device to add to your dry fire training that you do with your live fire guns. Well, on the barrel block, I'll just quickly insert myself in your middle yep. of your sentence. Yep. The barrel block also comes with three mag blocks. Right. A lot of people you hear us talk about buy your barrel block. It's super. It's like it's a thirteen dollar product, guys. Mm-hmm. But for your thirteen dollars, not only do you get one barrel block, but it comes with three mag blocks, which are little inserts that you put in the top of your magazine that prevent the slide lock from engaging. So you can do malfunction and reloading drills and not have to worry about slide lock. This is hilarious. Brian comments, what? No mention of the Glock (laughs) E-Trainer? This is true. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with us to not mention the Glock E-Trainer? Yes, if you have a Glock, you should use it also with the barrel block. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'm just a huge fan of the barrel block and and the mag block. And I am a fan of the Glock E-Trainer, darn it. Good job, Brian. (laughs) Good to know we have our... Our our fans and listeners and customers, uh, they got they got our back, man. So uh, yeah, and then if you want to save ten percent automatically on those products and anything else in our store, if you want to save fifteen percent off of USCCA memberships, then sign up today if you're not already for Guardian Nation. You can go to guardiannation.com and learn more. And if you're already a member or you're looking to be a member and you're going to take advantage of that USCCA member discount, and by the way, there. We are the only possible way you can save any money whatsoever on a USCCA membership. That is, I'm so proud to be able to say that, Jacob, that the only way you can actually save even just 1%, and in this case, it's 15%, is to be a Guardian Nation member, and that'll qualify you for 15% off a USCCA membership. Yeah. Uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash GN dash member dash discounts. And uh, that'll take you right to the dashboard page where you can click on the link that'll help you get that discount applied. So with that, time to wrap it up. Thanks to everyone on Facebook uh, participating live today for your comments. Uh, we, we even had some discussion back and forth that I uh, was keeping offline just because of time. And and sometimes it was unrelated to what we were talking about as well. So uh, appreciate it, everyone. Uh, it's uh, incredibly empowering and enthusing and motivating to to know that you're out there that you pay attention that you listen that you watch uh appreciate your support all of you so with that we'll let you go jacob uh i don't know if i'll see you next week or not on the on the show i don't know are you gonna be are you gonna be back i will be back we'll see <laughs> so with that we'll see you next week with our usual news episode and we got some other great content coming up here soon a reminder to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care everyone that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.